0: One of the consistent truths throughout the scriptures and encouragements that the Bible gives us in the New Testament, really in the whole book, but as disciples, as followers of Jesus, is God's desire for us to grow in our faith. It isn't just an emphasis upon a one-time decision In Jesus, but it's a lifestyle. It is a life of growing, being molded, being shaped, being formed into the likeness and life of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. As we conclude John chapter 4, we'll take a little break and we're going to pick up in John 5 back in or ahead in January. But uh, we'll we'll, uh, continue in John after the first of the year, maybe the second or third Sunday when uh, everybody kind of gets back in a routine and a schedule. But 2 Peter 3.18 admonishes us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter 4, uh, on the surface you have a story about a man who came to Jesus with a major problem in his life. And that was that his son desperately needed healing. And while that certainly is the the story, but there is also uh, kind of some deeper truths that we can learn here concerning our deepening our faith. And so the title of the message this morning is Deepening your faith, deepening your faith, and we're going to see this pattern in the story of this particular man who came to Jesus asking Jesus to heal his son. He was in a desperate bind and needed a desperate miracle. In John chapter 4 verse 45, just a few introductory remarks uh, to kind of give us a little flavor of the context, but in verse 45 of John 4, we see that when Jesus came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So already crowds were being stirred in hearing about Jesus doing these miracles. Uh, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had too gone to the feast. And we know that that, uh, if you read earlier in John, it's kind of following that timeline. So these crowds are hearing about the miracles and the works that Jesus is doing. And obviously great crowds are growing. In verse 46, so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he had made water into wine. In John chapter 2, that was the first sign miracle that John notes. There's seven in the book of John, not that Jesus only did seven miracles, but John has a particular emphasis of these seven. And in John chapter 2, the story of when Jesus was at the wedding and he turned water into wine, so he came again into Cana Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Uh, the, John is Remember John's theme. At the end, John 20, 31, he always is emphasizing why he's writing what he's writing. Because he wants to drive the hearers, the readers, to... Faith to belief in Jesus Christ. So everything here is deliberate of John moving the reader, moving the hearer, if you will, towards faith or belief in Jesus Christ. And so this individual, the ESV says he was an official, but in the Greek it literally means one pertaining to the king. So it just says an official, but he was not just any official He was someone who worked directly for the king. Now, there was only one king in the region at that time, and that was King Herod. King Herod was the ruling king, and so this individual, uh, in some way, uh, was connected in working for King Herod. Now, Capernaum, history tells us that Capernaum also was well known in an area where there was a lot of... um, Uh, government uh, officials, offices, regional offices. So that was what was uh, in Capernaum. So it would only make sense that there would be some officials there. And he had heard that Jesus was, uh, you know, maybe about 20 miles from where he was, and he came to Cana of Galilee. Now just kind of stop before we, and we're going to move along with the passage this morning, not read it all up front, but kind of walk through it. Connect with this Connect with the passage. Kind of step back and put yourself in the in the text a little bit. What parent could not relate to the situation that this man was facing when the Bible says that he came to Jesus in verse 47? It says that when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal Jesus his son, for his son was at the point of death. Now, if he was an official with the king, certainly money was not an issue. I don't know this for a fact, but I think Herod had a pretty good health care plan. Money and access to the best medical care of that day uh, was certainly not an issue or problem. But here was this man, this king's official, who was prestigious and had everything as far as status, and yet there was something that he could not make happen. He could not heal his sick son. You know, there's a lot of things that money can't buy. Money can buy a house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy a book, but it can't buy brains. Money can buy companionship, but it can't buy friendship, and money can buy a cross, but money cannot buy a Savior. This man was powerful and prestigious and was a man of means, but he pleaded with Jesus when he said in verse 49, sir, come down before my child dies. Come down. I love the New Living Translation. He says, come before my little boy dies. What a tenderness that, that New Living Translation, come before my little boy dies. And I remind my boys who are going to turn uh, 29 and 32 in January. And I said, don't, don't ever forget, I don't care how old you get, you're always my little boys. You're always my little boys and your daughter, your little girl. And so he is begging him. Now the New American Standard in verse 47 that I have up there, I think brings out better the, uh, the, the language that the Bible was written in, in this passage in the Greek, by giving you a flavor. He wasn't just making a request, but verse 47, the New American Standard says that when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down. The way that the Greek language would read is that he kept asking and asking and asking, we might even say begging. Think about the humility of this royal official, if you were, on the king's payroll, and this man of prestige that I'm sure was well known, but he was desperate for his little boy to be healed. And Jesus certainly is going to do a miracle, as we'll see here but I think also in this passage, we see that Jesus is also doing something else in the man's life. And we can learn this pattern of what he's doing here. And I love the Word of God. You ever read, again, sometimes on, on you know, when I approach this, and I'm sure as you read, you'll read a story and you just kind of read it. And it's just a pretty simple, straightforward story. We're reading about this man. He came to Jesus for the healing of his son. And all of a sudden, you start rummaging around and digging in there a little bit. And you see, wow, there's way more here than I realize. And that's the joy of doing what we do on Sunday morning to unpack the truths. And so in uh, today's message and in your bulletin, you have a listener's guide to follow along with and be an engaged listener. And uh, if you don't get your money's worth, then uh, we'll, we'll give you a refund at the end of the service. But we want you to be engaged. We want you to be engaged. And we put this really is a tool for you to be more engaged and follow along. If you have trouble paying attention, if you have trouble concentrating, take notes. And this makes it kind of easy for you to do this. And so we're going to look at seven levels of faith in this passage. And these seven levels of faith that we see are patterns that we see in our own life. And I think it will be an encouragement to us. And you may be at one of these different levels today and understand These are not necessarily, um, uh, these are not levels uh, that uh, uh, we we kind of uh, do uh, works to attain because there's different phases in our life that we may be at one level and go back to another level. And sometimes the Christian life is like that, where it seems like we take two steps forward and three backwards. Can anybody relate to that? Sometimes that's the pattern here. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you're not a believer because this myth that if you're a believer uh, that you never have a struggle or you never have a problem that's not found in scripture i mean i can you know that is that is a myth and so again the point is is that we embrace and trust the promises of christ and god is faithful as he walks with us and leads us into a life that is reflecting him so verse 45 Says that notice this first level that we see. This first level of faith is what I call a prove it faith, prove it to me kind of faith. It says in verse 45 that when he came to Galilee, when Jesus came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem. This is the crowd. We see John use this term, the crowd, the crowds, several times in his writings here. And this crowd isn't necessarily, there, and I'm not, there may be some, but generally the crowd is portrayed somewhat negatively because as that verse 45 says that they were following Jesus because they had seen or witnessed him doing signs, him doing miracles. So they were coming out to that. They were coming out to uh, see more of what Jesus might do. They wanted uh, Jesus to show them, to convince them. And that sometimes is where we start, isn't it? Sometimes we start with that curiosity that the Holy Spirit uh, engages us with. And God is so gracious. Aren't you glad God always meets us where we are? <laughs> and sometimes in that level, and that's why I don't want you to look at any of these levels and look down upon any of these places because all through these this is, this is God's pattern of the way that he works, not just in drawing uh, unbelievers to faith, but also the way he works in our life. He always starts where we're at. But sometimes there is a, a mindset with some people that they never get beyond kind of that prove-it-to-me kind of faith because they're always like, God, show me a sign. Show me something, you know, make the, make the picture move or, or or make the TV flicker. Show me a sign, you know, do something creepy, you know, that's going to scare the daylights out of me just so that I know you're with... You know, we have all these odd, weird things that we sometimes do, but, but sometimes it's just we're wanting God to say, if you really are real, you prove it to me. And sometimes it gets kind of carnal where it's like, God, I want you to prove it to me and... Uh, make, this, make me happy, make this happen in my life, make that happen. And it, and it comes from a sense of saying, I don't really have a believing trust in Christ. I, I, God, I just want you to prove it. And we think, you know, if God would just give me a sign, if he would just do some dramatic miracle, if I could be back in the time when Jesus lived and walked, and I could witness, um, you know, somebody being raised from the dead or somebody that was crippled for life, boy, if I could just witness that, if I could just see that, I would, boy, I would really be locked in forever. Guess what? That is not the case. Do you realize how many people witnessed and saw the dramatic miracles of Jesus and yet were not believers or followers of him? Um, But sometimes, again, it doesn't mean that God withholds miracles. God often will provide those special uh, answers to prayer and miracles. He knows what we all need to grow our faith. But... But this first level is, again, it, I, I don't think it's an illegitimate place because I think often that's where we, we kind of start. We're just coming as seekers and hungry, and oftentimes we're coming, uh, and again, the Holy Spirit is involved in this whole process, but there is that sense of curiosity. There's that sense of, uh, we'll see in a little bit, a need, but this crowd uh, they, they seem to be the way that John portrays them. They seem to kind of have a, a fetish with wanting him to perform signs almost like tricks. Uh, John 6.30, that will be there much later on, but John 6 is the passage about feeding of the 5,000. And in John 6.30, we see this negative, uh, again, the crowds saying, um, they said to him, the crowds there in John 6 then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? They weren't believing. Their belief was just like, prove it to me, convince us. And so oftentimes people that have that type of Christian faith, I grew up someone in a background that put an overemphasis upon miracles and healings and those type of things, and that if there wasn't always this, this dramatic activity going on on Sunday or in a person's life, that somehow that meant that God must not be pleased with my life or God was not moving in my life or the church or whatever. And somebody called that, and I thought this was, they call that an amusement park kind of faith. Because you're always just going for the ride, the thrill. And so if church is like about worship and the Bible study and being connected in people's lives, oh, I don't want to do that, I just want all the... I want all the excitement stuff. I want to see the dead raised. I want to see people uh, healed and walking that are, that are crippled or whatever. Listen, I'm not saying God doesn't do that today. But again, this man is coming to Jesus because, hear me, and don't. this is not a negative, the desperation of his son needing healing is what drove him to Jesus. And I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's a bad thing, all right? So secondly, and that leads us to the second level of faith. That These all kind of tie in. The second level of faith is part of kind of this beginning faith. And the second level of faith is a crisis faith. Man, he's in crisis. His child is in crisis. This is a crisis. This is a desperate kind of faith. This is a Jesus-take-the-wheel kind of faith. This is an emergency room faith. But here again, don't be too hard because at least he has a basic level of belief. God's moving him to saving belief. But at least he's acknowledging and believing that Jesus can do something about his problem. And that's okay. There's people that are at those levels. And don't, don't be so pharisaical and arrogant. You look down upon that as though you're at some you know, higher plane because again god is in all of these processes and so he is in crisis he has a crisis kind of faith now i don't know if you know sometimes when people are in crisis they'll they'll just pull their 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 ship into any uh any any dock you know uh, that's available and they'll run to this this thing or that thing or this uh this person who's got the healing treatment or You know, again, I don't know this guy, what all he has tried, whether he's tried multiple uh, people that that made promises, but whatever it was, here's the deal. He was in crisis, and he wanted desperately for his son to be healed. The only difference between a prove-it kind of faith and a crisis faith is in a crisis faith, it's now you, you, you want Jesus to do a miracle for you. You're not just standing off in the crowd watching out of curiosity. You need a miracle. You need a touch from God. And God is moving this person, using crisis in this man's life. Thirdly, the third level of faith that we see here is, again, these all kind of tie in. The third level of faith is a needing faith. A needing faith. This man believed that Jesus could meet his need. He was desperate. And this is often where many of us start. You know, uh, Paul uh, is a chaplain at the Hardy County prison. And, you know, and sometimes you'll hear people that cynically uh, will hear, you'll watch some criminal or somebody who's committed a crime, and they became a believer while they are in prison. And there's some very notorious people that have become believers in Jesus Christ. And I think that's listen: <laughs> if you're in prison, you need Jesus. I mean, why is that such a radical notion? Why are we so cynical? You know? And yeah, they're gonna pay the debt to society, and you know that, but but yet, prison in those desperate situations. You better you better get Jesus you better find Jesus and so I'm not I don't want to be cynical in looking at that why Because your need your need and don't forget that God is all part of this process it's often the very need that makes us first come to Christ or to seek after Christ because we have a need in our life we desperately need. Jesus to come into our life. It might be where we start. Jesus, I made a mess with my life. I've mismanaged my life. My life is a mess. My family is a mess. I have this need in my life. And that is where God often starts with many of us, with most of us. It's not a prove-it kind of faith. It's beyond crisis. It's not yelling and pleading and demanding from Jesus. It, listen to this. And this is a little place. You can write this down Uh, his faith, this man's faith begins to grow when his attitude moves from demanding to depending. You see the process going on here? He's not demanding, he's depending and even in verse 49 you see a quieter attitude than you see in the beginning where he says, Sir, come down, I need you. The Holy Spirit's All a part of this. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if this crosses mind, but I'd be like, now, Jesus, I've been traveling a couple of days here to get to you. And uh, I really, really, listen, I got a nice chariot, you know, that Herod lets me, you know, cruise in, and uh, I, I really need you to go with me back home. I need you to personally lay hands on my son. I, I, I appreciate your sincerity, but that, I, I, no, he didn't do that, did he? It says that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke, and he went on his way, and that leads us to the fourth level of faith And that is, fourthly, an acting faith, action faith, an acting faith. Now, don't miss this. Before, and we'll see this, before he comes to, uh, before he believes in Jesus in a salvific, salvation way, um, he believes that Jesus can do this miracle. Uh, he believes the word that Jesus spoke. Uh, he's coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, here's what I need you to do. And Jesus kind of puts the ball in his court and says, Well, you're gonna, you need to take some responsibility for your faith. And here's what I want you to do. It's not that Jesus is saying, I can't do it. But Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go go back home. Jesus put that on him. Go home. Your son will be healed. You know, the Lord does that all the time in our life. We come demanding and saying, Jesus, I need you to do this. And oftentimes, Jesus flips the table and says, I need you to do this. Now, again, we're not talking about works of salvation, but we're talking about what is Jesus is drawing out faith in our life as believers, maturing faith. You know, we say, here, God, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I need you to do with my money, my family. Here's what I need you to do. If you don't do it, it's all over of my job. Here's what I need you to do. And Jesus says, well, here's where I need you to take some responsibility and start. He challenges this man to put faith in him and to respond. And the principle that we see demonstrated is this man acting in faith. Don't confuse. This is not acting and showing works for salvation, but I think, again, it's part of Again, the the salvation work that the Holy Spirit does, remember in John 3, the Spirit moves like the wind. You can't see it or whatever. You can't box it in and say, well, this is the way the Holy Spirit moves in a person's life and bring him to Christ. This is the way he always does it. Here's the five, six steps. No, it's it's all the Spirit working. But don't confuse the root with the fruit. The root is believing in Jesus and Jesus alone. That's the root. That's faith in the promise of Christ. The fruit is is the evidence of that belief. Okay? You with me? And so the acting, what does he do? Acting faith responds, responds to the word of Jesus. And so we move from a needing faith to acting faith when we decide to do what? Obey. Obey. You see, you might be stuck back in crisis faith, needing faith, but we move when we decide to take Jesus at his word. That's where the man started taking Jesus at his word. Now, let's keep going. Faith is moving. Faith is moving forward in this man's life. In our life and this anybody's life, faith is either moving forward or it's moving backwards, and there's probably everywhere in between in this room. Your faith is either moving moving forward or it's stagnant or it's moving backwards. All right, but we see faith moving forward. Fifth level of faith is this man d- demonstrates. Verse fifty three is he moves now from a, from a acting faith to a knowing faith. Verse fifty. 2 and 53, we see confidence that he knew that God had worked in a marvelous way. Jesus can do long-distance healings. He has no problem with that, which just shows us kind of in another side way, the power and what we would call the uh, omnipresence of Jesus as God and his deity. But look at verse 52. And so we see that he left, he went on his way, he's heading back home, he's believing Christ... Verse 52, and so when he got back, he asked them back at home. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now look at verse 53. It was in that moment that this man, the father, what? Knew. Knew. You You see, even his belief is moving from just believing about what Jesus can do to now he knows that he knows that he knows. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And look at what happens in verse 53. And he himself believed in all his household. You see again... He believed earlier, back in what was it, verse 49 or 50, he believed. He believed in the power of Jesus, but now he's believing in the person of Jesus. The message, which is a paraphrase, which is kind of interesting to read sometimes. I like the way they word this. The message paraphrase says, The father knew... Verse 53, the father knew that that was the very moment Jesus had said, your son lives, and that clinched it. I like that. That clinched it. I mean, whatever belief he had up to this point, when he he heard and saw the evidence of the miracle, that what Jesus said, what he believed, he acted on, he believed what Jesus said, and he obeyed and he went, he clinched it and came to faith in Christ, A helpful note in a uh, study Bible that I, that I use made this comment here, and I thought it was worth mentioning here. He says, in verse 50, he believed in Jesus' promise that his son would not die. But, listen, but believing that Jesus can and will heal, that is not sufficient for salvation. There's a lot of people that believe about... Jesus, but that's not the same as the type of faith and belief that we're talking about. So in verse 53 that we just read, what was it that the nobleman believed? And, and, and they say that in verse 54, if you look at verse 54, it may or may not be on the screen, but you should have your Bibles paying attention to make sure I don't say something heretical. Um, verse 54 it said that this miracle at the end of the chapter, that this was the second sign that Jesus did. The first sign was in chapter 2 with the water into wine. Remember John has seven of these signs that he's weaving all the way through here. So what were the purpose of the signs that John was emphasizing? What is the purpose of the signs and the miracles of the New Testament? They were intended to drive a person to belief and confidence and assurance that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So when it says that he believed before, he believed about Jesus could and believed that certainly, kind of like Nicodemus. Remember when Nicodemus, we talked about Nicodemus a few weeks back, and he came to Jesus at night. What did, where, where was Nicodemus in this faith? Remember what Nicodemus said? He said, Rabbi, I'm a paraphrase it, Rabbi, it's obvious you come from God because nobody could do the miracles you do. He was acknowledging that first part of belief. But I think as we see later in Nicodemus' life, he came into the other belief that led him. That's important. That's important. But it led him to a saving belief. He placed his belief and faith, this man, in verse 53. And so... We move, and this is in your outline, you can put this in. We move from acting faith to knowing faith when we decide to believe in Jesus personally. When we decide by believing in Jesus personally. That's when we cross over. The sixth level leads us into that. The sixth level of faith that we see in this man's life Is a trusting faith. You see, he moved from faith in the power of Jesus to faith in the promise of Jesus. Faith in the power of Jesus to the faith that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He trusted in Jesus. That's what faith is. Some people think faith is belief in things that aren't true. Just faith, you know, or i said this before, you hear somebody uh, in a running for office and they'll say, well, he's a man of faith. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. He can believe the sun's going to rise the next morning. and go, You know, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. He's a man of faith. I'm a man of faith. Sounds nice and pious and religious. But see, biblical faith is trusting in Jesus Christ, it actually is what Hebrews 11 one says now. We know that faith is the what? The substance, right? It's the substance. It's got tangible reality to It isn't just faith and the stars and the sky. It's faith and trust. We move from a knowing faith to trusting faith or believing faith. to trusting in faith in Jesus Christ alone. You know, I I thought (laughs) uh, most many Christians have only on their phone, if I could use that as a picture of Jesus, they only know about 911 when it comes to talking to Jesus. You know what 911 is? You have an emergency. You don't call them to ask them how much flour to put in your biscuits, right? Or they will, Sheriff Judd will send somebody to personally show you how to do it. But 911, what? That's emergency. And that's the only speed, that's the only number some Christians have on their speed dial. 911, that's their faith. Right? But you know what? And it still exists because I looked it up. There's 411. What is 411? You need a number. You need help with, right? And now they've got 811. How many of you know what 811 is? You better call 811 before you go digging in your yard so you don't cut a line, a gas line, spectrum, whatever. See, as believers, we need to move out of just dialing 911. And we need to start dialing some 411 and say, Jesus, how do I do this? I need some information. I need some help. Jesus, 811, I need you to show me where some pitfalls are. I need some discernment. But see, only level of faith that we have, we just know Jesus is the 911. He's the emergency. And we ignore him because that's where our faith is. We've got to We've got a wide faith, but it's a shallow faith. We see this man is moving, moving towards faith in Christ. And that leads us to number seven. Verse 53 The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And then it says, And he himself believed, and what? And all his household. The seventh that we see this man moving towards is a sharing faith. What did this man do? He went back to his house and he told his household. Now normally a man official, that wasn't just wife and kids, that was servants and other people that were under his employment, maybe people that worked in the office or whatever. It says all of his household came to faith in Christ. Do you see how this man moved from... Crisis and how God was all in this process. Now, again, as our lives of believers, guess what? Sometimes we're in the sharing faith, and then three months later, guess what? We're back on 911. Right? And I like this, if I could not bear down too hard on this, but I like the fact that this man shows a little bit of spiritual leadership as a man, as a husband, as a dad. Because he went back and led his household to faith in Christ. Don't miss the fact that this man who was desperate for a miracle didn't send his wife to Jesus. He took responsibility as a dad, as a husband, as a father. Spiritual responsibility in his household. Men, some of you need to take that responsibility in your household. He's not letting his wife just carry the water spiritually in the house. What I want you to be reminded of this morning is that God wants us to lead us into a deepening faith. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, I think it is, said that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. And that means that if he's the author, he's writing the book. On our life. He's writing the story on our life. But next year. Where do you want to be in your Christian growth? Where do you want to be in your faith? Are you content with just kind of a curiosity? I'm not talking about salvation. That may be true with some. But again I'm talking to believers here. Are You just want to remain kind of in that curiosity. Every once in a while you'll, you'll use 911 in a bind. Or do you want to see God work in your life? Do you want to see God write some new chapters in your life? Some chapters of faithfulness. And guess what? Sometimes those chapters aren't exactly the way we would write them. There's things that we would not include in our story. Problems, crises, sickness. Some of you are facing some really, really big challenges. Physically in your health. I know that. But guess what? He is the author of... And I love that he is the, what? The finisher. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will complete it. And guess what? He's going to complete it to his masterpiece vision of your life. He's writing the chapter. This man started at one place. And he wound up somewhere else. Yes, Jesus healed his son. But there was a greater healing and a miracle that Jesus did in this man's life and in his household. Let's pray.